Eating disorders thrive in secrecy and shame. It's when we create a safe space for honest conversation that we'll find the opportunity for healing. Hi there, I'm Dr. Karen Nelson, licensed clinical psychologist at Melrose Center, welcoming you to Melrose Heals, a conversation about eating disorders, a podcast designed to explore, discuss, and understand eating disorders and mental health. On today's episode, we'll be sharing a story of recovery. I'm joined by Nancy Manther, who will take us through her journey of diagnosis, treatment, and what it means to live in recovery. Now, before I begin, I invite you to take a deep breath and join me in this space. Welcome to the podcast, Nancy. I'm so excited to have you here with me today. Well, thank you for having me, Karen. I'm really excited to be here too and um, hope that my story can help others who are struggling with eating disorders. A really important um, part of who you are is that you are an author and a writer. So I would love it if you could tell us a little bit about your most recent project. Well, yes, that has been that has been occupying just about all of my brain space. And interestingly enough, well, it, it's a novel about eating disorders. And it's about two 11-year-old girls, one in the present and one in the past, who it's their journey through their eating disorder experiences. And so there's a lot of my experience woven into it, not completely because it's fiction, but. Well, let's maybe transition and start talking about um, the story of your eating disorder. Let's wander back to that place, Nancy, of when do you think that your eating disorder began? Well, I think it began in a phone booth when I was 11 or 12 years old. Um, I was in this phone booth with my girlfriend and she was calling someone and, you know, phone booths weren't very big. So we were just kind of both in there. And these boys were riding their bikes around the phone booth, making negative comments about our bodies. And so they didn't really say whose body, you know, I just took it to mean me. Don't know why. And so I think that's my first memory of having any negative feelings about myself. And so it just kind of progressed from there. Absolutely. So what I hear is that place of like, it's a really beautiful example. A lot of people share a lot of similar sentiments with me, Nancy, of like this moment when I became aware of my body. And it sometimes is through maybe negative comments by others around us. And it sounds like that's what you experienced. And so take me through from that example. What do you think you remember about were there behaviors that initiated after that moment? Or tell me about that. What probably happened, I have a sister who's two years older than I am. And I think we just kind of started on this journey of trying diets. And not, not extreme diets at first, but just or like exercise records and all these things that we would do. And you know, my parents were normal about food. You know, they weren't 
extreme in any way, but they also were, I wouldn't say supportive. I don't know if that's the right word, but they weren't discouraging any of this behavior. So I just took that to mean, well, this is just normal. This is what you do. And then, you know, getting the teen magazines and all of that input, it was just like, well, this is just what you do. So I'm normal. So it, absolutely. It may have started innocently enough, right? Of like, oh, well, if someone's saying a negative thing about my body, maybe that means I need to change it. Hmm. And it, it sounds like it kind of started this entry into dieting, tracking, maybe some more rigid behavior around food. D- does that resonate? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't remember restricting a lot in those days, but I just became aware of calories and the scale and, you know, measurements and things like that. I didn't really like my body. You know, I don't remember having a lot of positive thoughts about it, except for those times after I had lost some weight. I see. Because then Mm -hmm. you got, I don't think my parents really praised me for that. They were pretty low key about all of it. Probably afraid that if they made an issue of it, then I would just double down and they were probably right. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. <laughs> so they didn't comment on your body. They, they, they wouldn't make comments one way or another. No. Okay. No. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, my dad would have occasionally make comments about his body, but he, you know, he was just normal to me. So that wasn't really a thing at home. Yeah. But I could find it other places. Well, take me through kind of the progression, Nancy, of what you noticed about kind of that evolution of what eating did uh, as you moved through early adulthood and then into middle adulthood. Did, Did it feel like the dieting or restricting ever became more intense or more problematic? Tell me about that. Um. Well, go, skipping to early adulthood or even college, one thing I remember from more from high school that always stuck in my head too was that, and I don't blame her for this, but I used to, we used to watch the Mary Tyler Moore show. Right. And, you know, she was very slim and I just thought she, Mary Richards was just amazing. Yeah. And so I remember one episode where she said something like, you know, well, I live on lettuce. Oh. And I, that just was one of those things that got in my head. So it's like, oh yeah, that's how you look like that. That's I see. Fabulous. Right. And so when I was in college and then got into my first apartment and those, and I didn't have a lot of money, you know, and so I thought living on lettuce pretty much was not a bad thing. So, I mean, I would eat other things, but I started, I mean, that's when I don't have lots of memories of eating lunch. So I gradually started, you know, cutting out lunch. I always pretty much ate breakfast, but when I was living on my own, dinner was probably just a salad. At one point during my college years, I went back to the weight loss program and I just got this positive feedback. And I just thought, well, I always have to stay like this. So then I think I just started, you know, more of the creative restricting that <laughs> didn't seem like a diet, but just, I thought this is what I have to do to stay like this. 
Yes. And in my mind, I thought, well, when I, you know, I'm an adult at 18 or even, you know, adult body at 16, I thought, this is how I have to stay from the rest of my life, you know, except for pregnancies. Then I was perfect and ate, did it, it was my permission time to eat. Um, But if I didn't have that reason to eat, you know, it's like I didn't think I deserved it. Oh, wow, Nancy. Good point. I mean, there's so many important messages that I hear you describing in that story. I mean, number one, kind of the power of of like these messages that we get in pop culture, right? And, you know, the writers of the Mary Tyler Moore show probably thought that was just a funny little comment, right? But mm-hmm. noticing how the eating disorder clicked into that and thought, well, that must be my truth. I, I Apparently, I need to live on lettuce. Mm-hmm. And... A lot of um, like minimizing or even um, uh, I guess minimizing is probably the right word of it's not that big of a deal, right? Like that that comment that you made of I literally don't really remember eating lunch that that didn't be it wasn't something to be worried about. It's just kind of what I did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was never like people I've heard people say how they forget to eat a meal. I never forgot to eat a meal. Yes. Tell me, what do you remember? Well, I always wanted to eat the meal. I was hungry, but I made myself not eat it. So I would drink diet pop. And then for my lunch break, I would go for a two mile walk in a half an hour. And it's like, how did I do that? I don't know <laughs> you were, that. you were hauling. Yeah, that is really <laughs> fast. Okay. So. I love this point that you made about it's, it's not that I wasn't eating because I had no interest in food, that I wasn't hungry, that I had no desire. It's that I told myself I shouldn't. That's the message that was running through your brain during those mm-hmm. years. Mm-hmm. And then if I didn't eat it, I felt somehow, you know, better than other people. It's like, I, I, I don't need to eat. Right. I, I, if people could see me, I'm freaking out. I mean, it, it's so important to talk about these messages, right? Because you're bringing up so many really important points. You know, it, it's interesting, a... A uh, patient of mine was sharing with me. She said, "Why is it that when we don't do something that is just part of our biology as eating, we seem to feel like this moral greatness, right? Of like, wow, that person—they have so much control. They didn't have lunch, or they skipped the cake, or they didn't have dessert. That somehow." that makes us better or more worthy. Does that resonate? Or do you remember ever feeling any of that? Well, yeah, people would, I mean, even up until I started recovery, you know, I, I, or talking to people since then about, I've told people I'm doing this and, and, you know, I've heard people say, well, I just thought I always was jealous of you because you had so much willpower. And, you know, I never thought I was, I never thought about what other people were thinking, seeing me not eat. It just didn't register. I just thought, well, 
I'm just not eating. I didn't think I was sending a message to them. And and help us, if you can orient us a little bit, Nancy, you know, these experiences of, you know, others not seeing you eat, was that through the majority of your adulthood? Or what was it, you know, most recent, you know, just within the past five years that, that you know, became really present or help us help us understand that? Um, I think it was more in the past five years or so. So, and that's how I continued, you know, if I allowed myself lunch, I would never eat it if I was at home ever. But at work, I mean, especially working in the elementary school, I kind of had to because I was spending most of the day on my feet chasing kids. <laughs> so, you know, I kind of got, and but I still was always hungry, even if I didn't eat, but um, but I just, I just kept eating the, according to the plan. You know, as you moved through adulthood, this kind of um, ebb and flow of at times, maybe there would be, you know, uh, more kind of uh, rigidity around food, then maybe it would lessen up. And then maybe I would, you know, go back into these kind of traditional diet plans. But this theme of, I can't eat freely. I need to have control. You know, I can't eat like a quote normal person. It, it, it sounds like those themes really moved through a lot of your adult years. Yes. And it's like I, I couldn't, I didn't want to let myself go. Oh, tell me, help me know about that. Well, it, you know, the common, I don't know if I should say common, but you know, sometimes after people get married and have kids, as normal people do, they might gain some weight or their body changes. And I would often hear people, I don't know who, but you know, just in the world reference that as, oh, she just let herself go. And I thought I can never, I'm never going to let myself go ever. Because then I thought something bad would happen. You know, would I not be loved anymore? Or, you know, I just, I wasn't going to go there. I would never find out what that bad thing is, right? Like I, I, I will do, I will go to great lengths to never quote, let right. myself go. What a good point. I mean, wow, is that is absolutely this theme that I hear. Somehow we don't take care of ourselves if our bodies look certain ways. Wow. And I didn't want that to happen. Well, and just kind of the the natural shifts and changes that happen in our body that are literally biology, right? That mm -hmm. it's not that I'm failing or doing something wrong. It's just that my body naturally moves through different changes, specifically talking about um, as a woman and kind of female-related changes and changes that also happen to men, right? Just mm -hmm. th these natural processes that happen and how destructive those beliefs are that somehow I'm supposed to have the same body I did when I was 18, when I'm mm. 45. Like what? No wonder we're confused and exhausted. Mm -hmm. I want to um, return to, to a space that we were talking about before, kind of this idea, you know, kind of that idea of when people let themselves go or that, you know, if people gain too much weight, they may not be loved or accepted. Do you think any of those worries ever showed up for you, Nancy? Oh, definitely. And I don't know why. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was loved as a child, you know, and I don't know where it came from. I still don't really. I mean, who knows how it all starts, right? Right. 
Well, good or how point. it comes together. And so, you know, thinking I had to look like I did when I was whatever, you know, for the rest of my life. It's just, I mean, my husband has told me for years that I was too thin. Really? And I, yeah. And I said, oh, I'm fine. You know, my doctor never says I'm too thin. It's fine. And so I really credit him with, I mean, he, he didn't nag me about it. But when I told him that I wanted to get an assessment done, he was very supportive. Wow. And I mean, I credit him with helping me even do this. Wow, Nancy. So, because he just helped me be brave enough. Oh, I love it. To do it. And then once I started restoring weight, he said, well, you know, you fit in your skin now. (laughs) Oh, Wait, wait, say that again. What did he say? He said that I fit, I was, I fit into my skin. Oh, well, could he just write a book for what support people need to say? Oh, masterful. Oh my gosh. It's perfect, right? Yeah. It was perfect. Well, let's talk about what, what was the turning point? when you either identified for yourself that maybe I want to get an assessment or did someone express concern for you? Tell us that story. Well, it's, well, it's kind of strange because throughout my whole life, I always jokingly said if I ever had a nervous breakdown, it would be in the form of an eating disorder. So, I mean, just at this moment, I'm thinking, so if I ever admitted that, right? what does that say? So that was something. Not going there. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Almost like there was this kind of knowing, right? Like the back of your brain type of thing. Like maybe this is a thing that's been happening for the majority of my life. Oh, so interesting. And one of my daughters once, probably, I don't know, Three years ago, she one day she just said, Mom, do you have an eating disorder? And I said, no, I'm fine. No. Right. right. So it all started to change when COVID came along, sort of. Yeah. Um, you know, I was working from home. I was doing distance learning on the computer with kids and stuff. And I just started thinking that maybe I needed some nutritional counseling. Okay. You know, that that maybe if I started eating, you know, more, I, I thought I was eating healthy, but I knew I could do better. So I thought, well, maybe if I do this with the help of a nutritionist, and then if I do put on some weight, I'll feel so good that it will be okay. And then I'll just have someone there to kind of, you know, help keep me from going off the edge. So, so I started that. You initially thought if I could go and see like a dietitian or nutritionist to get some advice around food, then maybe I'll feel better. Yes. What happened next? Well, I, and I, I told them that I had some about my diet history and I said how preoccupied I was with all of this body image stuff. You know, so I was, I can't believe I didn't see it. But anyway, so they had their, you know, recommendations, which 
rule follower that I am, I was going to do it. You know, I was paying like $300 for this. It's like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it right. So bring out the food scale to measure the meat or to weigh the meat and measuring the sunflower butter. And it was just kind of like one day I was just, it brought back all of that. Even though I'd been restricting in other ways for years, it just brought back that whole measuring, weighing. So that's when I thought I need to get assessed for an eating disorder. Wow. And I did. Wow. And then I contacted that other nutritionist and said, can I have my money back? Because (laughs) (laughs) I'm in treatment for an eating disorder now. Thank you very much. Yes. And she was wonderful. She said, of course you can. And she wished me luck. And it was just kind of like a catalyst for, for this, which turned out to be a good thing. That's right. That's right. Well, and I think it's important, you know, for us to, again, you know, be deliberate about kind of naming. So you went in for that assessment and you were diagnosed with an eating disorder in retirement, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Right. And I think that is really important for us to acknowledge. I think sometimes there's this, again, misperception. There's a lot of misinformation about eating disorders. And there can be this misperception that, you know, well, you know, once you hit 18, you know, you don't have to worry about an eating disorder or, you know, it's only for kids or teens or young adults when in actuality we can be impacted by an eating disorder at, at all different ages and treatment can be accessed at any point in our journey. Mm-hmm. And so that is really important to acknowledge. Um, tell me about, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear what that initial assessment was like for you and any parts that you remember or things that were said, take us through that experience. Um, well, one of the funny things was when I called to schedule it and the person that was, you know, I was talking to was just asking some general questions, I think. And she said, um, asked me if I was binging and purging. And I said, no. And then she said, um, you know, are you having, I forget how she worded it, but are you restricting? And I was kind of like, um, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> then I thought, okay, then I've been restricting for the past, well, you know, at least 20 years wow. plus. Because I actually thought I could do this, you know, get rid of all the eating disorder stuff in my head. Yeah. And not gain any weight. Yes. I really thought that was possible. I just wanted the thoughts to go away. Right. And then I started to figure out, no, right. <laughs> that's Absolutely. not how it works. For sure. So. And that, you know, we, we often have a lot of conversations with patients about what is a natural body weight and that my body is created to find a, a natural level of homeostasis, the, this kind of um, natural set point or, or a, a natural place where my body wants to be. And the way that that occurs is when I'm eating consistently and I have moderate movement. And so I often share with patients, if the way 
that I am maintaining my weight is through restriction, severe exercise, or any other type of eating disorder behavior, that probably is not my homeostasis weight. And that can feel really scary, right? And what I hear you saying, Nancy, is the progression of treatment, right? Of like, I, I did wander through a different different emotions. And there were times where I maybe felt excited, but then other times that it was hard. And maybe help us know a little bit about that. What, what was that like for you? Well, one of the things I guess would be clothes. You know, that was the big, because I didn't weigh myself anymore. We haven't quite smashed the scale, which I kind of <laughs> want to do, but <laughs> yes, this spring we're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> But I haven't weighed myself since, what, August of 2020. Oh, good. So, yay for me. Yay for you. (laughs) But having to um, go up sizes in some things, um, you know, I always kind of, I think I've told you this before, that I... I mean, I wanted to maintain the weight I had been at. So in order to have the lower half of me the way I wanted it to be. So then the upper half was really, I even thought I looked kind of scrawny. So so things that still fit on top, you know, but not always. And then, you know, getting bigger jeans and pants and that was kind of, kind of traumatic, but not too bad. Yeah. And it's a process, right? Right. It wasn't overnight. I instantly potentially became aware or pardon me, became okay with and and accepted this new body. It was a progression. Right. And it's still a progression. I'm not there yet. 100%. What, you know, as you do some reflection on your recovery journey, what were some of the things that were important as you moved through your, your, through your journey? You know, were there any things that you can identify, man, that was really helpful? Well, one of the things you told me was the analogy with um, the bucket and the little shovel. Yes, yes. And digging new, is it neural pathways? You got it. That's right. That's right. I mean, that helped a lot because, you know, sometimes overcoming some of these things seem like a really impossible thing. Yeah. Yeah. But that analogy, you know, digging away at it little by little with like, that's right. right. And to clarify, yeah, for our listeners, you know, I often kind of make the analogy that, um, you know, the eating disorder is kind of like, um, thinking about like neural pathways in our brain, the eating disorder becomes the Mississippi River, right? It's, it's thoughts and it's agenda, they're flowing, and they're rushing, you know, kind of through the state and, you know, heading on down south, and, and they're fast, and they're quick. And coming to therapy, and starting in recovery, you know, we initially start out with the little play school bucket and shovel next to it, trying to build a new pathway. And each time you come to therapy, we're making that new pathway and we're continuing to shovel. And so it makes sense, right? That it's going to take time. If 
if the Mississippi River is, you know, flowing in my brain, two therapy sessions and a dietitian appointment, I'm not building a new tunnel, right? Like it's going to uh-huh. take a little while. Uh-huh. And so giving yourself the grace of like, this will take time, but I can still build it. And eventually I, I make the new pathway and it's big enough and it's strong enough that the water doesn't flow down the Mississippi River anymore. It goes down the new pathway. And that feels so hopeful to create that mm-hmm. visual in your brain. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Do you consider yourself, Nancy, fully recovered? Or what does that mean to you? I don't know <laughs> if I'll ever be fully recovered. Partially or maybe mostly because I didn't start this process until I was almost 65 years old. I mean, I think if I had started it sooner, it would have been different. But I mean, I think I can be recovered enough. Beautiful. If that makes sense. And I'm glad that I have recovered at all. <laughs> so instead of just staying on the path I was. I think it's important to name and acknowledge that, you know, we have the ability to access treatment at any point in time. And that, you know, this idea that, you know, well, it, it needs to be diagnosed in either young adulthood or teen years or early, right? That, you know, diagnosis and recovery can happen at any time. And I, I think that is really important to name that that we, we don't age out of healing, that it right. is available and we deserve it at any time. Right. Yeah. Well, and I think that, <clears throat> excuse me, it's not uncommon, and you can verify this, that eating disorders can start when women are aging or get to be, you know, Absolutely. senior citizens or whatever. Absolutely. And... Who would have thunk it? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Good point. So, right, like we we may enter into treatment. Our eating disorder may have started years and years ago, or they can develop at all, you know, ages. And I think that really, really good point to, to mention that, Nancy. There are likely listeners right now, Nancy, who are working on their own recovery. Anything you'd like to say to them? Well, don't give up. And that you're worth everything, you know, you're, you're enough the way you are, no matter how you are, nice. but just stick with it. That's right. Stick with it. I love it. Well, and the other thing to add on to that is in this more, um, what's the word activist <laughs> yes. frame of mind <laughs> is that I think it could, I mean, it's helped me to think of myself as more of a, an activist or a warrior type that's kind of going against the system. I mean, that just kind of helps. It's not like it's a timid little thing I don't want people to know about. It's like, no, I'm going against the grain and I have power there. Yeah. So it's a powerful thing. Love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being with me today, Nancy. It's been just a joy to be able to talk with you. Your story is so important. Well, thank you for having me.
It's been really fun. That's it for today. Thanks for joining me. We've covered a lot, so I encourage you to let it settle and filter in. And as I tell my patients at the end of every session, take notice, pay attention, and we'll take it as it comes. I'll talk to you next time. Melrose Heals, a conversation about eating disorders, was made possible by generous donations to the Park Nicolette Foundation.